How you doing? Welcome to the show. It is the Tuesday night edition on Quite Frankly. It's a short show tonight because I have to try to find a way to at least put together the replacement for this. This seat I'm sitting in right now, which is about four years old. It's time to go because you know what? They're barely holding me up anymore. I'm get, I'm slowly, I'm slowly going down, down, down. And I can't stand that feeling. Some of the chairs over there don't even go up at all at all. They have uh, uh, chair hydraulic uh, dysfunction syndrome. I don't know what it is. It's just a passage of time and everything goes. Everything goes, including the chairs. In fact, I'm, I'm starting to get down the science, the seasonal science of the lava lamps over here. I've been trying this for a long time. Now, all these are on timers because it's very cold in this room this time of year. Uh, I've been slowly moving it back an hour a day. We're now at 2 o'clock. I put these on this big pink one over here. That lava lamp has been on since 2 p.m. And it is just starting to flow. Just starting. So tomorrow, I'm going to have to put all this stuff timed for a noon. Noon. Noon to 9.30. That's a lot of electricity getting used up, and I'm not even in here. So, um, but yeah, I have, the, I have them all on timers, so that's what I have to do. And then as the spring comes in, I'll be able to, you know, tighten the window a little bit because the wax won't be as, as cold, but this is just nuts. It's nuts. And, and again, it's a testament to the fact that all these lava lamps, they're not using the same bulbs that you guys and gals were using in the, in the 70s. Nowhere... No way, no how. I guess um, I heard a lot of you guys used to burn yourselves on the glass. It was so hot. But you know what? You didn't have to wait eight hours. Eight hours to see the wax flow on a chilly day. Didn't have to do that. Can guarantee you that much. Anyway, welcome to the show. It is the 20th day of February 2024. And what we're going to talk about tonight in this short engagement well, I had a few things I wanted to do. There was a, uh, there's the fact that we ended the book club sessions last night. The finale for Lucifer's Hammer was fantastic. It was a really a great time last night, and the book was really great too. It ended a little abruptly, but it was so insightful. There was plenty of things to talk about, especially when you have a uh, a topic, a plot that is focused around societal collapse of any number of issues you know the stand was a virus this was a comet and it was really interesting and i think it shone a lot of light where we are um you know where where we need to sh shine it sometimes uh we do it a little bit in just the way that we talk about our you know our need to prepare our need to have a little bit more food on hand a little bit more water filtration first aid things like that but this was so much bigger 
so much bigger. You know, uh, even those of you living in rural areas on your own farms and stuff, it, it, this would have been, you might have been better cut out for the time after the impact of the comet than others, depending on where the comet impacted. But um, it was not a guarantee that even the farmers were going to survive, you know, with the kind of weather that comes in afterwards, the essentially uh, essentially nuclear winter blotting out the sun for months hurricane type uh, hurricane force storms and all that anyway you can always be a part of those and i hope that you're a part of the book clubs in the future especially the one that is starting at the end of march on easter week we are reading the robe uh by lloyd c douglas and i really hope that you jump on for that i really do become a sponsor and get in on the book clubs but tonight i'd like to think about contemplate lucifer's hammer and that's the name of the comet hammerfall was the day that the uh, the comet fell and um and don't worry about oh he's gonna talk about something i haven't read it's not about that you already know the premise of of what we're talking about i want to discuss whether or not lucifer's hammer already fell for us but um what if it wasn't a comet so Hopefully we can all make some sense of this and and we'll get that on the on the record in a little bit. Okay, so first things first, thank you so much again to all of our wonderful sponsors out there, especially Blue Monster Prep. And uh, again, just remember that the quite frankly mugs, these heavy duty, amazingly handcrafted, beautiful pieces of art are all available on the Coffee Revolution page that we set up that is there for the coffee too so you'll be able to go click the link on the website and you'll be able to go to two different places to the location of the mugs or the location of the coffee have at it let me know what you think about the mugs i know you i know many of you are going to be like whoa this is serious this is serious i can kill somebody with this thing yes you can and that's why we designed them this way because when when the shit does hit the fan you're going to need to be able to kill somebody with literally anything All right, let's go. 914-200-0269. That's what you're using for the uh, rest of the night to comment on whatever the hell you want, and I hope I hear from you. All right. Uh, oh, here's another thing I want to bring up Bring up with the audience. If anybody, by the end of the night, can can just let me know what you see. If you have Amazon, if you have Amazon Prime to watch movies or whatever, you've ever downloaded films or whatever, Anybody in the audience who has Amazon Prime, do me a favor. Search for the Lord of the Rings. Search for Lord of the Rings, the, the, the trilogy, okay? Look for the Fellowship of the Ring. Let me know what you see. This is what I'm looking for. I have a theory right now because I started watching Fellowship of the Ring a couple of days ago. I brought Aurora in on it. She said, what's this? You wanted to watch it. I told you guys about this. So we watched the Fellowship. I watched most of Two Towers. I found a good place to bring her in that was, you know, good enough for her to handle. She came in and watched the Two Towers with me. Right up into the end. Um, and then we go to and then we go to um The Return of the King, where Aurora and I were we were just we were we had maybe about forty five minutes left. And we took a break and we left it alone. And yesterday we were gonna sit down and finish it. At that time, I brought up, I brought up the uh, the Amazon. I went looking for the Return of the King, and what we were looking for was no longer there. The only thing that we were able to do 
was rent or buy or subscribe to Max to look at all of the Lord of the Rings that were just free 48 hours before. And instead of even being the versions, the theatrical releases that we were reading, we were being prompted to only watch the four and a half hour long director's cut, which I can't stand director's cuts. Let me know if it's searchable and if it's free for you or if there's some kind of algorithmic fuckery going on here where they saw that we were watching this stuff over the course of a couple of days and then they just immediately cut us off and put a paywall between us. I want to know about this. Let me know. Because I've, it just doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense. And that's the other thing here too. When it comes to theatrical releases versus director's cuts or the uncut version, whatever the hell it is, unrated versions, I can't... Does anybody else like... Um, does anyone else like, and, and, and I saw somebody saying, well, this is why you have to have physical media. I do have them. I actually just went and, uh, ordered the DVD Blu-ray for Return of the King. I had Fellowship and I had, um, the Two Towers. And I, I do like owning physical media, but the thing is that it was streaming for us right there and it was convenient for the time being. I said, I hadn't seen it in a while. It's just a button away, but it's just so weird that by the third day, boom, a, 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 a thing came up. It's subscribe or buy for me, said Cindy Lou. All right. That's one. That's one. Then this was just the, the oddest timing ever. But does anybody else have a disdain for uncut uh, versions of, of, of stories, director's cuts? I feel like they are normally way too long. They actually take a lot away from the story. Like, for example, if you go and watch the director's cut of Tropic Thunder, I think it ruins the movie. I think that the theatrical release was just such a better product. Narrative-wise, everything. There's a lot of just scenes that were just... It looked like they were trying too hard to be funny. Let me know what you think about that. If there's any director's cuts or uncut versions of any movie that you think is far superior than the theatrical release, I'd love to hear about that. Okay, a couple other people said that Amazon says I have to subscribe or buy. Then this was just... This is just the weirdest timing ever then. I thought it was personal. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Okay, let's. people are having some conversations about director's cuts right now. I love the Black Hat director's cut. Completely different movie. Uh, director's cut of Reindeer Games adds to the movie. Uh, I'd, I'd kill for the director's cut of The Mummy, 1999. You know, I love the Mummy films with Brendan Fraser. I love those films. I, they're one of those, there's one of those films where I can just let myself go. Let, let it all go and just have some fun. I had a lot of fun with it. You know, those one of those films where you wish that if you were in a situation like that, you can be as cool, calm, and collected as Brendan Fraser. Like, there's no way if you're fighting an army of undead, where do you come up with the balls to, to crack jokes in the middle of all that stuff? It's almost as if he knows people are watching and he wants to see, be seen as cool. So, yeah. All right, well, that's all I have for that. Okay, yeah, the eyes wide shut. I would love to see the director's cut of that one. The 24 minutes. Give me the missing 24 minutes of eyes wide shut, please. All right, what else we have in the news? couple of things. Did you hear about this? Abe Lincoln pardoned Joe Biden's great-great-grandpa. Did you hear about this one? 
Uh, he stabbed a Civil War soldier and was banished to America's Siberia. Well, the Biden family's criminality isn't confined to modernity. As the Washington Post has revealed today, explaining that in the evening of March 21st, 1864, the quiet of a small corner of the Army of the Potomac's sprawling winter camp along with the Rappahannock uh, River and near Beverly Ford, Virginia, was disturbed when a fight broke out in one of the mess tents between Union Army civilian employees Moses J. Robinette and John J. Alexander. Robinette is President Joe Biden's great-great-grandfather, who is said to have drunkenly shanked Alexander, a fellow Army officer, with a penknife after hearing him gossip to a female cook. Now, if you... Uh, I haven't gone, gone and checked the For You tab on Twitter today because I have really been doing good. My Lenten promise of being pleasant on Twitter has been working out swimmingly. I still comment on things, but I find a pleasant way of doing it. Okay, it's all about pleasantries. I try to be complimentary to some people. But um, I can just imagine the leftist retards on Twitter in the For You tab. They're probably like, wow, multiple generations of dark branded. How badass. You know, the Krasensteins probably use this as an opportunity to start a, a conversation, as they say. What do you think? Should gossip be tolerated in the military? I could hear it. What do you think about gossip? They're, so, they're, they're amazing conversationalists. They cut to the real core of the issue. Well, gossip is, I don't, I, don't, I don't personally condone gossip, but I can hear them with their kazoo voices speaking through the kazoo. That'll be it. You know that, that story about, uh, about um, what's his name? Liberace behind the candelabra. Whenever they put out their autobiography one day, it'll be behind the kazoo, the story of the Krasensteins, or behind the test tube, <laughs> behind the test tube, and through the kazoo. All right. Well, there you go. Here's some New York news for you. You heard about the, the Donald Trump um, fraud fine or whatever the hell it was, $355 million dollars for the civil fraud nonsense that was going on. Well, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank went on CNN and he did a, a pretty decent job really taking it to the um, the host here and just laying out what's going on. Because then I have to just give you one last bit of news from New York and then we'll go into tonight's uh, main thrust of the show. But listen to this exchange on CNN about the uh, concerning the, the judge ordering Trump to pay nearly $400 million or whatever the hell it is. Wouldn't there be many companies who would not want to do business or loan money to people like yourself or investors? Hold on, we'll go back to the beginning. Sorry. Wouldn't there be many companies who would not want to do business or loan money to people like yourself or investors if they know that they can get away with fraud and there's no recourse to protect them? Fraud. Excuse me, what fraud? I don't, I, this is not about Trump anymore. When you get a developer, when you get a developer that builds a building and he says it's worth $400 million and he wants to borrow $200 million from a bank, which happens every day, everywhere on earth, including every American city, every developer is an entrepreneur. They shine the light on their building and they say it's worth 400. The bank does its own due diligence, as was done in this case, 
because they're very good at it. The banks are very good. And they say, no, it's worth 300. We're only going to loan you 150 million. That haggling has gone on for decades. That's how it works. And then in this case, even the bank that was supposedly defrauded testified and said, we didn't lose anything. We want to do business with this guy again. We'd like to. But the judge said, no, 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 no. The, yeah, the fact that that happened in the courtroom is the most astonishing thing about all of this. And again, uh, like 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 O'Leary says, this has nothing to do with Trump at this point. It always it has much larger implications because this has always been about observing what the system does, what they're willing to do to destroy people. Because though this has been a very public and politically slanted lynching, um, the, it makes you wonder how many people have lost their shirts to this kind of corruption, this kind of viciousness without the comfort of illuminating headlines to kind of plead their case to the public um, in one way or another. You know, uh, it's just uh, it's just incredible. He, he, he keeps going and it's, it's worth a listen for a little while. No, let's penalize this developer for three hundred fifty five million. And if we're going to do that. Let's penalize all the developers all across America. They've all done the same thing. All of them should go to jail and we should stop building buildings. That's what the message is from New York. Even the governor herself is concerned about what this looks like to investors all around the world. It's not just U.S. domestic. All well, around the world, people are talking about what happened here. You really think people want to invest money in New York after this? How about we go well, somewhere I, I else? Think, how, I think there are to, people who would... I don't want to cut you off, but I, I want to... Converse well, with you, you instead. I, it's, it's only because I want you're, to have a conversation, a, you know Kevin, I as opposed you, to just you, having you tell you me. You're a lawyer. You're a lawyer. You understand well, exactly what I'm talking about. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm respectable for a number of reasons, Kevin O'Leary, but being a, a lawyer is one of those issues. But I'll tell you, when I, when I hear. What the fuck does that mean? Your conversation, and I do want to converse with you about this point. I understand that there are legitimate concerns that were raised during the trial and will continue to be raised about who the quote unquote, what, who is actually bringing the suit. It wasn't the banks who were saying that we as consumers are unsophisticated feel this way. But Letitia James, the attorney general, and I know you want to expand beyond Trump, has suggested, well, it's about making the playing field level for those who are not the major and billionaire investors, but for those who are supposed to put business records out. How are you going to level the playing field for me? How so? Letitia James goes and she she identifies a victim that has not identified themselves. Okay, the victim would be a defrauded bank. They didn't even identify themselves as a victim. They said nothing happened here. There was one party that pitched their value. There was the bank, the lender that went and assessed their value and counteroffered whatever the hell else and is very happy with their working relationship. So Letitia James, old casket legs over there, is looking around and assigning victimhood so that she could do what? Level the playing field for whom? What, do, what does this do for me the next time I walk into Deutsche Bank and look for a loan? What, what, I mean, what, what, what does this do for me? What are you talking about? They're not... They're, they're just spinning their wheels. And of course, she's not saying anything. This woman, the host right here, she's not saying anything. She didn't say anything this entire time. She opened her mouth, noises came out. Um, but it's really just to disrupt an unbreakable argument from O'Leary. That's just it. Um, 
and 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 it's uh and it's really it's it's concerning because there are plenty of people who do business in New York that are seeing that right now and no matter who they voted for in 2016, 2020 or whether they voted at all this has to be very very concerning. And of course to do damage control comes um comes out the beaver lady. The hand-me-down governor over here in New York, Kathy Hochul, Nosferatu in a wig. Here she is, New York uh, Governor Kathy Hochul scrambles to get businesses to stay, tries to downplay the massive fine against Trump. This is the Western Journal. New York Democrat mayor, uh, governor, I should say, uh, Kathy Hochul found herself on the defensive following the ruling Friday that levied $355 million in fines and damages against former President Donald Trump and his company under a consumer fraud statute. When interest is added in the amount of damages, New York Judge Arthur Engoron, sounds like that would be a, uh, a Lord of the Rings character, said that Trump owes the state is over, uh, owes the estate over $450 million. The judge's ruling also imposed a three-year ban on Trump serving as an officer or director of any New York company and bars his sons Donald Jr. and Eric for two years, which in effect requires the Trump organization to find new leadership for the near term. Engeron determined that Trump organization inflated the value of their properties to obtain a loan. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, where is she? Where the hell is she? Uh, I think that this is a really an extraordinary. Okay, so on Sunday, John Katsimatis, uh, I don't know that, uh, the Cats Roundtable on WABC here in New York, 770, where I used to listen to, to uh, Savage, asked Hochul if other New York business people should be worried that if they can do that to the former president, can they do that to anybody? She responded by saying, I think that this is a really extraordinary, unusual circumstance that the law abiding and rule following New Yorkers who are business people have nothing to worry about because they're very different than Donald Trump and his behavior. What is that? What's the difference? By and large, other business owners are honest people and they're not trying to hide their assets and they're following the rules. She added. But Engeron found that Trump did not. That's what they're coming on down to. Now, uh, in January, the AP reported that after analyzing 70 years of civil fraud cases under New York law, its researchers concluded that Trump's case would be the only big business found that was threatened with a shutdown without showing an obvious victim and major losses. There's no victim. There's nothing there. So the beaver, the beaver lady, essentially what she is saying is, don't worry. Unless your name is Donald Trump, you can do whatever the hell he did and everyone else has been doing who has been developing real estate in New York and elsewhere since time immemorial. Okay? Don't worry. It is literally just about him. Now, again, this comes down to what you're comfortable admitting about yourself. You're either completely rabid and you are immersed in this unnatural hatred of Donald Trump, the man, and you don't care what happens as long as someone gets him, or you're retarded, and you actually think that this is as legit as a legal pursuit as it gets, and then the other option is you're sober and you see this for the sham that it is, regardless of what your feelings of Trump are. 
So I don't know where you get to appeal this. Obviously, you have to. You can't just let it go. But the the whole case, again, is when is there nowhere left to appeal? I don't know. I don't know. But the noose just feels a little bit tighter, a little bit warmer. And we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Thank you so much for the time. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Hello. Go! Yes. Welcome. Welcome back. Okay, so now that that's out of our system, I wanted to talk a little bit about what we have going on tonight. The main thrust of this short show. So as you know, last night, maybe some of you were there, good amount of you are, we finished Lucifer's Hammer for Book Club last night. It was a Comet Strikes the Earth story. And it upends everything. That's the real thing here. That's the real thing. It upends everything. The planet is physically reconfigured, as well as politically reconfigured and technologically reconfigured, actually wiped out. It comes really down to even the social norms. The social norms being brought back to the most instinctual and tribal settings possible. Women's lib up in smoke because it's, it's not real. It's just a, it's a central planning projection. It is a counterculture movement. It's uh, it's cent- it's central intel. It's all that nonsense going along with environmentalism up in smoke. What is environmentalism? Are we talking about being better stewards of the earth? Are we talking about planting trees and uh, conservationism and 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 just taking responsibility with our local habitat and everybody doing their part in, in, in taking care of our planet? No, it's about something far uglier that we're going to get around to. Something that we hear about all the time from the 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 world government people and all their summits and all their castles and their villas all over the place. It's just um, one thing after another. This book called a lot of attention onto things like this. Any flimsy projection or social program that once had the backing of central banks, that once had the backing of central intelligence, the guidance of central intelligence, all gone. In comes a comet and back to reality we go. That's really what it was. Um, And just so you know that it wasn't, uh, you know, we read some of the 
it was great that somebody in the audience, I think Robert, Robert, Robert Solorio in the audience, he put together a little bit of some quotes from reviews of Lucifer's Hammer that, that came out in 1977, but the reviews came out just 11 years ago. So, of course, it was very, very salty, left-leaning media critics that were talking about this is just one big um you know, a male fantasy about getting rid of environmentalism and and women's liberation and all that stuff, which it, uh, you know, talking about that this is just, you know, male dominated nonsense. And it's really not. It's really not. The women in this this story were not enslaved. The men were not were not kings. Everyone was vulnerable. And then suddenly there was balanced. There was balance again. Everybody had to just pitch in do what they could uh and and it, it that's that's just what it was there was no servitude nothing like that but the balance i think is the had the hard part what kind of balance well, kind of balance that we start seeing in the news today for some reason it's crazy to see how the, the timing of some of the stuff pops up yahoo by way of the telegraph men and women's brains do work differently scientists discover for the first time Again, things that you didn't need to study to understand, but this is what they're saying. The brains of men and women operate differently. Scientists have shown for the first time in a breakthrough that shows sex does matter and how people think and behave. The issue of whether male and female brains are distinct has proven controversial. Why? No, it hasn't. Not to anybody with a brain. With some academics arguing it is society rather than biology that shapes divergence. <laughs> there have never been any definitive proof or difference in activity in the brains of men and women, but Stanford University has shown that it is possible to tell the sexes apart based on activity in hotspot areas. What about just basic traits behavior? I mean, isn't all behavior and reaction really stemming from what is going on inside of the central nervous system, the way that something is perceived, and isn't, aren't there very stark patterns that can be taken from that? Isn't that just part of what we call life, being out there and being well socialized and understanding uh, how you treat people and, and how to deliver news to certain types of people, how, how women tend to react to things more than men? what they're focused on more than men, vice versa. And that's not saying it's a good or a bad thing. It's just what it is. But these are university types. They need, this is all, they're all about science. These are the people, I, I, gotta, I can't wait to show you some of the stuff that I have set aside for when Jay Gulinello comes in here. Science, what the hell even is that anymore? I don't know. Uh, th there was this one article, where the hell is it? Um, Give me a second. This was something else. The time and the study finds. No, no, no. Here. Listen to this from Zero Hedge. We'll do this a little bit on Thursday night. Leading scientific journal humiliated after pub publishing fake AI generated paper about rat with a giant penis. Okay. That's, so we got to talk about this, and the real the real thrust the real thrust of the uh, of that conversation is going to be what is science even? What even is science anymore? 
you know? So there you have it. That's it. Um, their findings suggest that differences in brain activity patterns across these key brain regions contribute to sex-specific variations in cognitive functioning. Just a little something for you. That's a little something. You know, it got me thinking about a lot about how the hammer, the comet, applies to us outside of the tales of deep space impacts of comets and and our reliance on technology. I know that those are cautionary tales. Uh, How reliant are we on the technology of the day? What happens if it all goes away? Could you survive in nature since we are of nature but so far detached? And I started to think that we've probably, it is possible that we've already been hit by Lucifer's hammer, but the impacts are just psychological and totally inverted from what the story is talking about. Now listen to this. I woke up to this biblical abomination of a headline that really highlights how much, uh, so much of our world, at least the world on the surface, the surface layer of the world is based in non-reality. Here's a headline. University Hospital, a trans woman, man, a man's breast milk is just as good as biological women's milk. I'm sorry for the image that's about to come on screen. A UK, a UK university hospital system has claimed that milk produced by trans women is as good for babies as biological women's milk breast. The Telegraph reports a university Sussex hospital's NHS trusts letters to campaigners noted that, quote, after a combination of drugs, trans women's milk is comparable to that produced following the birth of a baby, end quote. Trans women, biological men, must take the hormone progestin in order to develop milk-producing glands. Drugs such as uh, domperidone, which can be prescribed for biological women who have difficulty breastfeeding, are then needed for lactation. But even domperidone's manufacturer warns the drug was not intended for this, as it can cause heart issues in newborns. The The drug's patient leaflet, warns domperidone, quote, should be used during breastfeeding only if your physician considers this clearly necessary, end quote. Nevertheless, the USHT uh, believes domperidone is safe for trans women, but does not note, does note that hospital staff should advise those using on possible implications. Oddly, the USHT's guidance for the drug no longer exists on its own website. In its place is a link to a La Leche League, which claims it supports everyone who wants to breastfeed or chest feed in reaching their goals. Now, if the lights go out, going back to the book, If the lights went out, EMP, comet, asteroid, whatever the hell it is, if we got hit with something and the lights went out and the infrastructure that we rely on every day is just gone, it would be an instant life or death situation for all of us, but especially for people with, let's say, who need insulin to survive. There's a diabetic character in that book right there, Dan Forrester, who actually helped save the world as we know it. And over time... Years after the fallout of something like a comet or anything like that, things like diabetes and other metabolic conditions, they would probably still be around. 
It would probably be possible for people to develop it. I'm sure that that would linger, but it would be decreased drastically over time because whoever survived, whoever survived that natural act of God reset of the planet would instantly become more agrarian. They would become more physically active out of necessity. They would be eating more locally based diets seasonally. You know, the brownies would be gone. The sodas would be gone. The seed oils would be gone. That's something that I was thinking about. People who are experiencing health difficulty, you know, um, that would be an immediate thing for people who survived after a major cataclysm. How, we, how do we keep up with the insulin? But over time, it would also just be a net positive for metabolic diseases across the board because, I mean, all of the environmental factors that really promote such a high rate of diabetes, type 2 diabetes in, in society, would be gone. Now, then you think about you think about the lactation drugs that some men are taking so that they can feed whatever the hell it is that is oozing out of their nipples to the babies that they have somehow acquired. That nightmare goes away overnight. Okay? Overnight. Insulin, that's one thing. This, this act, this science experiment, gone overnight. Okay, never to return until, of course, if civilization recovers well enough about a half a, you know, I don't know, 500 years down the line. If civilization recovers well enough to once again politicize people's personal traumas, their boredom, their fetishes again, that stuff just goes away. Now, I think about that all the time when I was I was reading this to think about what is, you know, uh, what are real issues that we got to talk about with physical health and all that, and then other things that are just merely societal creations that go away if society goes away. Not that the people who, you know, the current crop of people affected by that who are suffering with that are are going to uh, have have an easy time, but there's certainly not going to, you know, the, the schools, that'll be gone. The psychologists, that'll be gone. The drugs will be gone. The porn will be gone. It'll, uh, it, it'll be, it, that would be interesting. I thought about it a lot. So there would be some silver linings to the idea of a reset by way of a comet or an act of God. But listen to this. Now I want to go into what might have already been the Lucifer's hammer that dropped now and continues to drop. Uh, here is a little, I don't know, it's a minute long quote. It's a uh, soundbite from Klaus Schwab's daughter. Nicole Schwab and how she's talking about the reset that her ilk, that her father's associates and all that, they are planning that they would like to introduce to the world, which is the farthest thing from natural and the farthest thing from being godly. Listen to this. This crisis has shown us that, first of all, things can shift very rapidly when we put our minds to it and when we feel the immediate emergency to our livelihoods. And second, that um, clearly the system, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, that we had before is not sustainable. So I see it as a tremendous opportunity to really, to have this great reset and to use this huge flows you know, of money, to use the increased levers that policymakers have today in a way that was not possible before, to create a change that is not incremental. 
but that we can look back and we can say this is the moment where we really started to position you know nature at the core of the economy so you heard that right there too there's a lot of things that happen there of course what is unsustainable what is unsustainable is a small amount of people who put themselves in a position to take care of a very large amount of people and world population. That is not sustainable. What is sustainable is working to free and liberate humanity so that we can get back to actually being a little bit more involved in what's going on locally. That is to the locally the local sourcing of food, local economies, local government, local education, all of that. But they they love talking about this is unsustainable, but we have to go to the next step. What is that next step? If you're in a position where they are, where they believe that they are the, they are the real, um, the ones who are supposed to be controlling and making the world a better place, and what we have going on right now is unsustainable, the first thing you're probably going to do is want to get rid of a lot of people. We already know that that's been on the books for a long time. But then you hear about this other nonsense that we want to make incremental you heard the, uh, they, they don't want to make incremental. You heard the aversion to doing incremental changes. You hear that? They want to bring in the proverbial comet to hit and, and say, this was the major turning point, watershed moment. This was the moment that it all turned around and we did it ourselves. Now, it's proverbial because they don't actually want to free people from the strictures of dependence on the unnatural, which is actually what happens in Lucifer's Hammer. It is a violent rebirth of mankind in the wild, a violent rebirth indeed, a chaotic, scary thing to contemplate, to being that out of control. But it put man directly into nature and it freed them up from everything they knew before, the technology, the government, the taxes, everything these people are on the other side of that okay but they are pretending that this is this is really like the the jump off point they want to see they don't want to see people freed from any of that stuff they want whoever survives the big shift to be fitted with their very own brand of cattle tags with their very own brand of cattle tags things like this because we get these every day now that uh, Elon Musk is moving ahead with Neuralink. The first human patient controls a computer mouse with his mind. They made a full recovery and they can control the mouse around the screen just by thinking. Progress is good and the patient seems to have made a full recovery with no ill effects as we are aware. The patient is able to move a mouse around by the screen just by thinking. You see, you can't call it slavery if you can just think up a song and have it play in your brain. It's not slavery if you can demand music at any point. So that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. We got the, the cattle tags, all that stuff. It's incredible, the inverses that I'm seeing. So as always, um, you know, uh, we look for things in the books that we read that may be relevant to the current year or relevant to our timeline because some things are just so fictional. They're off the... Uh, there take place in another, another universe. And I saw this as a stark inverse because whereas Lucifer's Hammer by Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell was a story of an act of God that thrust the survivors 
back into nature, we are being set up, or at least they think that they're going to thrust us into an experience that is a series of unnatural cataclysms that are designed to force us to be something less than human. Okay, the, the comet made people connect with their humanity. These people want us to be less than human, you know? And how easy was it to do? Well, I don't know. How do we get to this point? I want to do that in just a little bit. We're going to go on a really quick break because it is a short show. I'll see you on pill.net or quite frankly.tv. Those links are below. We're getting closer and closer to all of our crowdfunding goals. Please become a sponsor of the show. And, uh, and yes, hang tight. We will be right back. The rest of the show is available exclusively at pill.net. Follow the link in the description of the episode. Get signed up. It's that easy. Or head on over to quitefrankly.tv. Just press play. No paywalls, no censorship, no strings attached. So head on over, quitefrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole and pilled.net. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Frankly. Quite 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 frankly. How dare you? Okay. Now listen to this. I asked myself, how do we, how is it easy, so easy to get, uh, to, to get us in this position where the, some of the, some of the people who mean to do real harm to the earth, which is seen as a benefit to them and their groups, 
how the hell is it so easy for them to get them in themselves in this position? And of course, I would have to say it's a combination of the frog boiling slowly, mission creep, uh, as our military audience members would say, and of course, the trusting, the trusting uh, that people do or the way that we trust people who never deserve to be trusted. The way we trusted the media for a long time. I was at the, the tail end of media trust. Before, um, then before it really got become a joke, a real joke. And um, man, I, you know, there's this one thing I want to, I want to play it for you. There's this one caller. I was listening. I was on this uh, this Rumble channel. I hang out there every once in a while when they're live and they're they're streaming uh, old Coast to Coast and Art Bell. It's all things Art Bell on Rumble. Take a look at this. There they are. All things Art Bell on Rumble. Become good friends with those people with those people in the in the chat there. And we would hang out and just uh, just talk and and this and that. And they posted a. This is from February 13th. They posted this episode from a week ago. Nuclear submarine officer X and open lines. So it was a night about nuclear submarines and reactors and all that stuff. And there's open lines. And of course, the environment pops up a little bit more. But toward the end, around the two hour and five minute mark, we get a call from NRA hippie. And I want you to see how he's treated in October 22nd of 1997 when he talks about global warming and he talks about everything else that he thinks is really attached to this whole game because global warming the earth this stuff we, we know where the power the power uh, really likes to concentrate on this stuff and I love listening to this not because Art Bell is right about things he's actually uh, usually wrong about a lot he's just a really great facilitator for good talk radio and um and it's amazing this is why i love listening to old talk radio episodes because you just get a you get to go into a time machine and you not only get to see who was right before it was fashionable to be right but you also get to be able to um, assess the mentality of those who just did not think it was possible for them to be right. Not that they were working an operation or they're taking money, they're shilling for one thing or another. It's just that the trust had not been broken yet. And I think it's generational too because it's mainly generational as well. Because, uh, you know, Art never changed his opinions from what I can tell on 9-11 or, or anything like that, especially global warming. But I want you to listen to this because I think that this is going to be some interesting. It's a couple of minutes long uh, and Art holds him back for uh, after the break. And, and you'll hear where it all goes and how he is eventually ushered off the show. You're on the air. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Goodbye. Wildcard line. You're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. Uh, with respect to this global warming issue. I think this is something that's been going on since the very beginning of time. After all, we've gone through innumerable ice ages and warmings. Uh, and I know exactly who you are. You know I'm very good with voices, and I'm going to tell you that if you misbehave and I have to blow you off the air again, <laughs> uh, you'll be gone forever. 
Well, let me just continue to say that... Uh, all right, all right. Do you understand? Every, do you understand? Yes, I do. All right. Yes. That every word that has ever come out of the mouth of Bill Clinton has just been a despicable lie. And this... Well, that's... Latest, that, look, that's crazy. That's not crazy. Every word Bill Clinton has said has not been a despicable lie. Let me give you an example. Our troops will be in Bosnia one year. Yeah. And they've been there two and a half years already. Well, all right. I recall uh, Somalia. Do you remember Somalia? Oh, all 44 uh -huh. were killed there. All right. Well, um, all right. Were there despicable lies told by people on the right about Somalia and, and, and our mission there and what we were going to do and when we were going to leave? The people on the right said we had no business being there in the first place. Oh, but people on the right put us there. No, no, sir. No, sir. George Bush was not on the right. <laughs> George Bush was just the first coming of Bill Clinton. Yeah, I see. And besides, right, well. when George Bush left office, there were fewer than 1,200 troops on the ground in Somalia. The other 20... See, I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty great so far. Kind of reminds me of Albert. 4,500 were put there by Bill Clinton. I know. I know. didn't want to go to I know. Vietnam. I know. I know, but what, what I'm saying is if you're going to call um, a troop extension uh, wherever it occurs a despicable lie, well, then these despicable lies have occurred on both sides of the aisle, haven't they? Uh, yes. Yes. And But what's going on here with this global warming thing is what they want to do is impose an energy tax on us. They want to cut down and chop down our standard of living to those of some mud hut third world country. All right, all right. Bill and all right, all right. Hillary Clinton. All right, hold it, hold it. Um, you want to hold on through the break? Okay. Fine, because uh, I do want to talk about this, and I'll hold you over. Stay right there. Welcome to the program, those of you who join. So mud hut, mud hut, and remember what the, what uh, Klaus Schwab's uh, daughter was talking about. Now, when she was talking about. Uh, we, you know, something is unsustainable, this and that. We think that we can finally, without any kind of incrementalism, just go right, jump right into the, uh, the deep end of the pool. It was, um, it was about finally putting nature, they said that, finally we can put nature at the center of the economy. What the hell does that mean? It means deindustrializing as much of the planet as possible, lowering the standard of living for much of the planet as possible by social mandate instead of a comet, okay? It's a Luciferian power grab. People like this seen it for a long time. This is back in 1997. I still thought that there was value to things like Earth Day and, and all that other shit, you know? I, I mean, I was in seventh grade and what the hell did I care? Seemed nice to have a day to celebrate the Earth, right? But listen. At this hour, anything is possible tonight, anything at all. Who knows? But then again, that's kind of the way I like it. In this whole global well, what you, said, what you said was Bill Clinton, every word from his mouth is a despicable lie. That's right. Well, it isn't right. And I would, uh, if, rather than uh, list the lies, I would rather ask other people to list what he has said that has been true. But the point of my call is this global warming farce which they're trying to pull on us. They have two things that they want to do with this here. Number one is they want to slap us with energy consumption taxes. Yep. 
purpose of which is to drive the drive our standard of living into the into the dust. Number one. All right. Let number me stop, two. Let me stop you there and ask okay. you a question. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that we continue as we are now, uh, allowing population to increase, allowing that population to continue to use fossil fuels uh, at an ever-increasing rate. Allowing that po- allowing population to increase. How do you disallow population to increase? How do you disallow it? This is this is from Art Bell, a, a supposedly you know center right figure. Um, in, in, even though he was doing at this point paranormal and and all that other stuff, uh, th- this is something that everybody, the large a large amount of people at one time was really taken up by. The Earth is becoming overpopulated. That is something that has infected both both ge- two of the general camps of thought. That was a lot more prominent at one point. I remember it too. The Earth is overpopulated. What do you think that's going to lead to? I don't think that that's going to particularly lead to anything in this country. The most population increases are coming from other places that, on this true. earth. That is true. And so it's not really our problem. It's uh, not the no. consumption. No. Again, how is it not? How is it uh, not our problem? This is a, the World Economic Forum would have loved this. It is our problem that some countries out there have are having more children than we're having in the West. Well, what do we do about it? You got to go into foreign lands and convince them to not have children. To embrace uh, to embrace what? It, it's just incredible to listen to this. So many years later, the thing that this this call was fringe is is the standard of living thing here, and this is what they're going after. So you think there's no chance that what man is doing on Earth right now is contributing to climate change? Not not at all. Not in not the at least. All. Not, not, not a chance. Huh? But this is being used as an excuse, and this is my number two, this is being used as an excuse to hand over to the one world odor of the United Nations that which is up until now been our sovereignty, the sovereignty of our constitutional republic is being handed over to these one-world odor bureaucrats of the United Nations, which Bill Clinton is in lockstep with, and he has, he has doled out our troops in 100 here, 200 there, all over the world. We have, over, we have troops in over 100 countries. This coming from a man who did not want to go to Vietnam himself. I mean, talk about a despicable liar. He's also a coward, and he's a murderer, talking about Waco. But this global warming is a farce. Anybody that falls for it is a sucker, and I feel sorry for them. And I am here to help them, to show them the way to the truth. We have only in the last couple of decades been able to see things from above, from in orbit. We've only in the last couple of decades been, we've only had the capability to see thinning uh, thinning patches in the ozone layer. They have always been there. They have not just recently got there, they've always been there. But, you know, tell that to Woody Gore. You know, this is being used against us in a hysterical campaign of lies, disinformation, and half-truth, which is to destroy the 
sovereignty of our constitutional republic and to drive our standard of living down to that of some mud hut third world country. All right, that, that just about brings us uh, full circle. Uh, thanks for the call. I wanted to let you go ahead and get that out because I wanted everybody to hear that. Now, that is the standard ideological myopic view of somebody on the far right oh. who, with blinders on, will suggest that everything that is being suggested by anybody who has an environmental conscious, consciousness of, of any sort is an absolute lie designed to simply destroy our sovereignty. It is. It is. Unless they're talking about teaching kids about basic conservation, driving children out into the outdoors, going out and taking care of their homes, planting trees, all that stuff, uh, opening up the markets so that people who have really great innovative ideas that would be able to clean up all the plastics out of the oceans and things like that. Go ahead. Let's figure it out. Let's let's unlock the ingenuity of of mankind. Nope. Nope. We've got an issue. It's getting too hot. It's carbon dioxide and only a select few of us and our friends are able to step in on this. And 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 you know what? We need to redo the entire planet. We need the economy to accept as its centerpiece nature. Drop the hammer. Drop the hammer and put your chip in. It's it's crazy. It's crazy to see that time gone by. October 22nd, 1997. And um, it, I, I, this is why I love listening to old radio. Um, because it's just a, a, a an illuminating trip down memory lane. Memories you never even had. But it puts you in the shoes of somebody who's listening in 1997 just for that moment. Or for two hours and 26 minutes. I love it. There's always these little things I find all, all around. And um, yeah, and that's what I want to say. I wanted to put it out there. I think it goes hand in hand with Lucifer's hammer, the, the power grab, how this stuff is able to, to be pulled over people's eyes. And, um, and yeah. That's that. Here's another one for you. You're speaking of Art Bell. This was today. That was 1997. This is today. This is Whitley Strieber. Now, um, maybe some of you guys and gals know who Whitley Strieber is. He's an author. Uh, he talks a lot about UFOs and 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 uh, alien encounters uh, over the over the holiday season. Last time that we had Greg Carlwood come on, he actually read a passage from uh, Whitley Strieber's last book that he published. Whitley was on uh, coast to coast, you know, for years, years and years and years. And I can tell you some incredible hot takes I have heard him and Art Bell say together back in the 90s. They talk about population control and stuff like that. The world is over. Uh, I think it was Whitley Strieber who said that we should adopt a single pot, a single child policy like China, even though once again, we're not having children. We're not having children. And then you see this. He tweeted this today, Whitley Strieber. I, my, my mouth would have uh, been agape if I haven't heard him say worse things in the past, thinking that he was like really hitting the nail on the head. I don't think he's on the take. I think that he's just a 
I don't know. I, this is just one of those really gullible boomer uh, sentiments. I know that there's a lot of boomers out in the audience who are not gullible, so I'm not talking about you. Or not as gullible. <laughs> Whitley says, I don't understand why the U.S. Congress seems to be engineering the defeat of Ukraine. The Congress is engineering the defeat of Ukraine by starving them of money. And some of these Congress people under the are some of these Congress people under the control of Russian agents. How pathetic is that question? How pathetic is that question to even put out? It's pathetic because you know that he means it. That is pathetic. The Congress is starving them. How many billions of dollars over the hundred billion mark are we at this point? Okay, how, how many? Starving Ukraine of money. We've also rooked them of several generations of young boys and men. We've dist- we have led them and kept them in a war that has done nothing but kill, slaughter the viable male members of their society. How, how, this is how, this is how. You want to talk about the frog boiling? This is supposed to be the outside the box thinkers. And um, so I'm never really shocked when I find that it's really late in the game. And, and uh, I mean, hell, maybe there is some generational divides there. I was, I knew that we were going to be very, very disappointed with some people once Jesse Ventura even took that that stance. What do you? What, Jesse Ventura got really upset that people were not taking the masks and the shots. Jesse Ventura, conspiracy theory. Jesse Ventura said, "Whoa, be prepared. There's going to be a lot of disappointing things we see coming out of people we used to really, really respect, and that's where we are right now." So, um, so yeah, what is it? Lucifer's hammer, has it already struck? I believe so. It's just not a comet. It's not a comet. And, uh, and yeah, I, I can't wait to hear what you guys and girls have to say about this. That's it for tonight. Just a little bit of a wrap-up of thoughts. I'm going to have to go put some chairs together now and start ripping apart the other room. Wish me luck. I'll see you tomorrow night. I don't know what we're going. I may have to pre-record an interview with uh, Raw Egg Nationalists. Uh, either that or I'm going to have to reschedule him. If I reschedule him, we'll find something else to do tomorrow that'll be nice and fun. And uh, I wish you all nothing but the most relaxing of evenings. Thank you for hanging out with me. And we will be back tomorrow. But let me get to my Super Chats first. ST says, quite frankly, a small token of appreciation. You did a stellar job hosting Lucifer's Hammer with the, quite frankly, Bookleys. A very special group. You've got me enjoying reading again and titles I may not have considered. Looking forward to the robe. Thank you very much. And thank you for all that you do. Well, thank you, ST. That's wonderful. These are titles I would not have considered either. Things that have been sitting on the shelf, things I always wondered about things I've referenced, but not really understood the source material entirely. So I, I'm so grateful to be doing this with you all. And based on how well um, this January pick of Lucifer's Hammer did without a co-host, I think that in 2025, most of the titles are going to be without a co-host. 
I'm just going to give it a shot. Uh, maybe bring in co-hosts for, for special books and, and stuff like that. But I really appreciated and had a lot of fun. I know you guys love when Timothy Gordon and Jay Dyer and, and uh, you know, we have Charlie Robinson and Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Sharman coming back later on in the year. And, uh, and for The Robe, we have Steve and Jonathan that's going to be coming on with us to do that and co-hosting. And I know, I know that you guys really love the co-host picks as well, but I really enjoyed focusing more so on taking your calls and also just being reliant on what you guys had put inside of the threads. So I think next year it's going to be a lot more roundtable-based. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. And Jay Britt says, hey, Frank. Well, hey, Jay. It's good to have you out there. Let me just make sure that I have not missed anybody else over on Pilled. The gold pills are, I'm waiting for them to load. Here we go. Thank you, Sean Joe. NJSF says, David Lynch's Dune director's cut is superior because theatrical was rushed at the end. Okay, thank you. Porpoiseful, thank you. Doug said, Frank, Lord of the Rings Extended are the exception. Trust me, you won't want to watch the standards. You sure? Uh, all right. Well, I'll check them out. But I saw I saw Return of the King was four and a half hours. I said, whoa. I don't even know. I remember when I went to go see Return of the King in the theater. My Now, we were not super into Lord of the Rings, but we had been watching as it came out. And I plan on reading the book sometime this year or next year. But I remember we were in the theater watching The Return of the King. And we thought the movie was over several times. There was a fade away. A fade cut. A dissolve. Something like that. We said, oh, okay. We thought that we were going to see the, the, uh, the credits come up. I, I'm telling you, we got messed with at least three or four times. At Toward the end, we were just getting angry. We wanted the movie to be over. It's not like that now. Now I'm like really interested in immersing myself in it. But uh, I don't know. That's long. I might have to take some breaks, stop for lunch, go work out, come back, watch, it, watch the rest later on. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you, Doug, for that, though. Reggie, thank you. OG Lurker, Sean Joe, Amethyst Cat, you guys are the bee's knees. Love you all. Thank you so much. Let me go and release the scratching. And uh, we will be on our way. Good night. Talk to you soon. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, this film before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters, starting with ST and ending with Jay Brits. You guys and gals, I love you very much. I'll see you tomorrow, 7 o'clock, no matter what. Be here or be nowhere.